Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast, a podcast about expanding your creative capacity. Each week, we interview inspiring creatives to help you grow your freelance career. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Closer and Closer podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Andrea Mejia-Madriz, and I'm a part of the Artist Marketing and Partnerships team here at Closer and Closer. Today, we have a wonderful guest that I'm so excited to talk to, Emma Tucker. Emma is a writer and editor who has extensive experience contributing to print and online publications, including Creative Review, The Spaces, and Dazine. I'm hoping that's how you say it. Um, as well as working with brands and organizations on editorial projects. She's currently the deputy editor over at Creative Review, which is how we got connected. Um, And I'm so excited for her to tell you a little bit about her work and what she does. Uh, So welcome to the podcast, Emma. Hi. Hi. Um, (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on. I feel like it's always, I'm so used to interviewing um, artists from our roster, which, you know, I usually have a good amount of rapport with. I see them pretty often. And I kind of know their backstory a little bit. Um, So it's always fun getting somebody new and somebody outside of kind of the illustration realm to give us a little bit of a different perspective. Mm, Well, this is the other side of the coin for me as well, because I'm so used to interviewing (laughs) creatives. So being interviewed myself is going to be interesting, I think. I think it's going to be great. Don't worry. We're very, like I said before we started recording, low stakes here. You're good. (laughs) Mm. Um, No hard-hitting questions. Um. So I guess on the theme of not hard-hitting questions, probably the most expected question um, to start off a podcast is just, you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started writing? Yeah, so um, I'm based in London. And as you said, I'm the deputy editor at Creative Review, which has been around since the 80s actually now. And uh, the magazine covers the creative industry in all its forms. So everything from illustration and photography to branding and advertising and I guess some of the kind of big questions that creatives have to tackle. Mm -hmm. And as for how I got into writing, um, I guess I've been writing since I was quite young. I have Mm -hmm. this quite clear memory of being very tiny and making these things that I called newspapers, which were just big sheets of paper with scribbles on them. I mean, I didn't even know how to write. (laughs) And then as I got a bit older, I was writing plays for school and short stories. I studied English literature literature at university with a bit of creative writing. I left. I actually worked in advertising for a couple of years, which uh, I did not enjoy. And then I basically (laughs) lucked out and applied for a job as editorial assistant at Creative Review, which was my very first job working in editorial. Yeah. So I stayed there for a bit. I left, I had a bit of time working as a freelance journalist and doing some kind of digital communication stuff. And uh, then three years ago, I went back to Creative Review and now I'm deputy editor. So Wow. So you've <laughs> done a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, kind of. of. Like the kind different, of. you know, you like have the deputy editor thing, you were a freelancer, yeah. you did the whole ad space, which I know is a completely different beast. Um, so I'm always so interested to hear when people have done that because yeah, so many of our artists had a similar experience, you know, it's like they come from, they, they, they kind of want to do something a little bit more traditional, a little bit more stable. They're like, oh, I should probably, you know, get like a quote unquote real job. 
Um, and then they go into like the ad space and immediately they're like, oh, I just don't have, you know, they're just like not the structured, like, um, it's just not their lifestyle. Like it's not what they, what they vibe with. So was it a similar experience for you? Was it like, um, kind of just challenging being in that space that's so hectic all the time and, you know, you're just constantly working with other people and and making, making the situation work? Well, I think I panicked at university because I graduated into a recession here Mm, and mm -hmm. um, I forgot that I wanted to be a writer and thought oh my god I've been offered this job I would be mad not to take it and I remember Mm. at the very end of my first day I walked down the end of the road with someone else that started and I was like I need to leave this place as soon as possible (laughs) she was like me too and we stayed there for another two years Um, it was just uh, it was quite a hectic job there was a lot of kind of schmoozing and mm-hmm. um, networking, which has never really been my strong point. And it wasn't, it was a part of advertising that wasn't very creative. It was planning and buying ad space for mm-hmm. the creative. So yeah. um, it just didn't really play to my strength. So I was, I was quite glad to leave. I think if I'd been working more in the creative end of advertising, I would have really enjoyed it because now yeah. I, I love all of that stuff. But yeah. sadly, that wasn't the case. No, that totally makes sense. And I think it's interesting that you say um, that networking has always been a challenge for you. I am completely on the same boat. I'm definitely not somebody that's comfortable putting myself out there. And, um, you know, I lo- I know a lot of our artists feel similarly and a lot of the people that listen probably feel similar- similarly. I'm always the one that's giving them advice. It's like, just email people, like, just put yourself out there. And they're like, Mm-mm, I'd rather not. Um, so mm-hmm. as a freelancer, like, did you experience that that's still was a challenge you had to overcome and like how how did you overcome that or did you are you still working on it tell me more about that that's a good question <laughs> well, I think I was very lucky in that a lot of my contacts and work came through people that I'd done work for in the past so mm-hmm. something I learned is that um making contacts and networking doesn't have to be like going to a party and, and mingling which is obviously horrible if you're a classic <laughs> introvert like me but it's staying in touch with people that you've done jobs with in the past and letting them know what you're up to. And I think it's taking a slightly softer approach than what people would traditionally think of as Mm -hmm. networking. Um, And once you kind of get going and you get a few regular things, you know, people recommend you to people they know who Mm -hmm. recommend you. I think it's quite a natural process. It's very difficult if you leave university and start freelancing straight away. That's like a whole, that's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Some of our artists have done that. And I'm always like, so impressed at, yeah, yeah. just like the, seems crazy. It seems like a lot of work uh, to do that for yourself. But yeah, that totally makes sense. And I agree. Like, I think just keeping people updated. Again, I'm the marketing manager here. So that's always where my brain goes. But I'm like, you know, it doesn't have to be reaching out to big, scary new people. It's just like touching base every once in a while and reminding people that that you're there is is so, so helpful. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. But I think as well, it's it, the other thing I've learned is that um, you might do a job that actually isn't that exciting. And you think at the time, mm, okay, well, I did that. But it, it, sometimes those kinds of jobs do translate into much more exciting things further down the line. You know, someone you did a really boring job with three years ago might end up working somewhere really interesting and they'll think Absolutely. of you. And so you kind of have to play the long game as well, I think, a bit. 
Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely something that we're learning over at CNC is just like the value of, you know, just because a client doesn't immediately come in with like the biggest ticket job or like the best, like most fun project to work on doesn't necessarily mean that they're not like a super valuable, um, you know, client and connection and that can't build into something more. But like you do have to put in the energy to build it into something that's, you know, exciting and fun. Yeah, I think all those jobs you learn thing. I mean, that's such a horrible cliche, but I really have learned something useful from almost everything I've done. And there are things that I, <laughs> I remember doing jobs years ago and thinking, oh my word. But actually, further down the line, I've been like, it was awful, but I kind of learned some really useful stuff doing it. So totally, stuff weaves into your life in funny ways. I think ultimately. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe that's just human nature. We're just looking for for the silver lining and everything. But I totally agree. Like everything is, everything brings you something and teaches you something. So it's worth it. Um, something that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, obviously writing has always been a part of your life. Um, but how did you get interested in art and architecture and like kind of all the other realms of creativity? And was that always kind of a goal that you had in mind was to write about that, or did it kind of just come about? Um, spontaneously so I kind of fell into the job at creative review by a lot of luck but I have Mm. always been interested in the visual side of things so I grew up reading a lot of graphic novels and playing Mm. a lot of video games so some some classic favorites oh um good question I played a lot of Zelda Ocarina of Time when I was a teenager Um, my grandparents bought me an N64 which I feel quite honestly was like quite a pivotal part of my uh, (laughs) life because I discovered Mario 64 and um, I loved all of that and graphic novels um, I read a lot of the Sandman novels Um, Mm -hmm. I read Blankets which is one that everyone's always read but Mouse as well which is really difficult but brilliant so I, I feel like I always had a connection to that visual side of things but when I started working at Creative Review, it definitely opened my eyes to this whole world that I wasn't aware of, of you know, photography and design and illustration. And I was really actually instantly fascinated by it and intrigued by how it all worked. And Totally. Yeah, yeah it's it such, I feel like it's such an insular space that like you don't, you don't know about it unless you know about it. You know, I remember mm-hmm. I had a similar experience as you, I like graduated, um, university into in 2020 so it was like you know mid like the very beginning of the pandemic everything was shut down and my original goal I've talked about this on the podcast I think a few times but I originally wanted to work in music that was like what I was planning on doing but then obviously that was not happening um and I just by luck found this position at closer and closer and it was so interesting to me because I'd always loved like artist management and like uh you know marketing artists and getting their work out there um more in the music space and I'd never even thought about you know illustrators and designers and artists and them needing that that too and I remember one of my first interviews I got on with the founder of Closer and Closer Drew and he was like oh so like you know why are you interested in illustration or design or whatever and I was like honestly mostly because I had no idea that like these agencies were a thing until (laughs) I saw this job and that's amazing and these people are so talented but I didn't even know about it and yeah, it's just such an interesting space that that you really can't n- learn any. I feel like you don't learn anything about it until you're in it. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, like I had no idea this was here. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, creative work shapes 
so much of our lives that we don't realize. Absolutely. Um, so it was, yeah, it was an amazing, really brilliant place to have a first job as a journalist and working at a magazine. I really, really loved it. Um, and I actually missed it the whole time <laughs> that I'd left. So it was really cool to come back to it as kind of a bit more senior and a bit more experienced later in my life. Yeah. Wait, so let's get into that a little bit. Like, how did you go from, you know, leaving Creative Review, going to kind of do your freelance thing? And then what was it maybe about freelance that you that you didn't like or that you were kind of looking for something new? And how did you kind of uh, ease your way back into Creative Review and get into this this new position? So I definitely enjoyed freelance, but it comes with like a a constant sense of mania, which I'm sure lots of your artists might relate to, where you're like paddling, paddling, paddling away, thinking, okay, what's the next thing going to be? And the next thing and the other thing. And the way that I found work for me was always to have one kind of regular thing. So I knew every month, okay, I'm going to get this much money from this one regular thing I do. Mm-hmm. And everything else is just like the icing or the gravy on top of that. Um, but it, freelancing can be quite stressful and there's a lot yeah. to be said for that safety net of having somewhere where you work with the same people every week or you go to the same place every week. Um, and the opportunity came along to join as a senior writer. Um, so I started back there doing three days a week, which is brilliant. And now I do four days a week. And on my fifth day, I do my other kind of freelance projects that I still have going on. So it worked out really well, actually. Yeah, I think that there's pros and cons for freelancing and for working somewhere. It's just depends how well, what sort of a person you are and how well you can manage some of the sort of manic anxiety <laughs> that comes from being self-employed. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's such a good way to put it. I've never heard anybody put it that way, but I'm going to start using that with our artists now because it's so true. It really is like a mania. Um, and yeah, it's just nerve wracking not knowing where your next paycheck is going to come from, I'm sure, which is why. And, you know, there's all this other part of the job that I think people don't even think about before they get into freelance, where it's like, you got to do your own books and like, make sure that you're, you know, you have the money that you need and like market yourself and put yourself out there. And, you know, I feel like people go freelance because they're like, I really love doing the work, which totally makes sense. Um, But it just comes with so many other obligations that I feel like people don't often think about. Um, Yeah, I've seen people say things like, you know, um, it's great being freelance because you no longer have a boss. But yeah. I'm not sure it's true because your boss then just ends up being your many clients. So yeah. Instead of having your one boss, you've got like 20 bosses all equally demanding. Yeah, no, that's so <clears throat> true. You've got so many people kind of um, relying on you for different things and you just can't. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of. I can't even imagine, um, which I guess makes sense that you ended up back at Creative Review. Um, for those people that don't know, this might just be me, but what does like a typical day look like, um, for a deputy editor? What do you get into? Um, tell us about it. Mm, So, um, I walk my dog every morning, (laughs) which is a really good, which is a really good bit of the day because I work from home. So Mm. I really enjoy, uh, like a little break between waking up and starting work. I have to ask, what's the dog's name? What kind of dog? (laughs) I need the dog Uh, intel. He is a cockapoo called Bear because he kind of looks like a little brown teddy bear. Yeah, um, cute. So he's my little puppy PA while I'm working. Mm-hmm. And um, a typical day involves a lot of emails. People send us a lot of creative work. So it's a lot of new adverts, rebrands or new photography projects. So it's kind of sifting through that and working out what we want to cover. 
normally I'll have an interview or a couple of interviews for people to do with features I'm working on. I'll be writing either a news story or working on a feature for the website or for the print magazine, which comes out every two months. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's kind of bits of admin, having editorial meetings, talking about what's going on in the creative industry and what it is that we want to cover and what's coming up. So, uh, yeah, never a dull day. Yeah. Got to stay in the loop. Got to stay in the mm -hmm. loop. Mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Um, and I also love that something that obviously a lot of people complain about uh, working from home or, you know, just being kind of in a creative field is that it can be really lonely. So I love that, you know, so much of your day is still just like interviewing and getting to know people and getting to talk to people. Because um, I know like these calls are some of my favorites of the week and I do like check uh, quarterly check-ins with all of our artists um, and there's 53 artists on the roster. So there's a lot of people. Um, but that those are always like my favorite parts of the day is when I get to just kind of like chat with somebody and catch up and like really get the human aspect of the work that I do. Do you feel similarly? Like, is that something that really excites you or are you somebody that like loves the research? Like what is your favorite part of, of the gig? Yeah, I do really like talking to people. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I think I'm quite a classic introvert. So I'm yeah. very, ha very, very happy in my home office, like doing my own thing. But it's really nice to have that broken up by interviews with people. And um, everyone I interview is, generally speaking, very interesting. You always pick up really good bits of wisdom from them. And I think that was really helpful in lockdown. Um, you know, it was a good way to stay in touch with the outside world when I was stuck in my house. Absolutely. <laughs> no option of leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Did um did the pandemic and like lockdown really change the way that you approach like writing about creative work? Because, you know, I know that like exhibitions stopped, there was nothing really happening in real life. Um, how did you kind of navigate that transition and like, yeah, what what were the big shifts? And is there anything that you see that's kind of just gonna endure that you think, you know, won't be going away after hopefully all of this is over? So when the pandemic first hit, we did a lot of stories about how it was affecting creativity in studios, mm -hmm. uh, some of which are quite hard to write because you're kind of reflecting on it while you were in it and it was yeah. affecting you. I think long-term changes, um, I think what a lot of creatives have had to tackle is the fact that sometimes that creative spark is quite hard to get going when there's six of you and you're all working in separate places I think that's really hard to maintain over you know a google hangout or zoom but I think in some ways the lockdown has done the creative industry really good because it's shown that people can work from home I'm really hopeful that that's going to open the industry up so you won't have the situation where you have to be in a big city to be working at a big ad agency or a design studio you could be living wherever you want. And I think as well, the work-life balance thing is really important. Um, you know, the creative industry isn't always known for having yeah. the best work-life balance. And yeah. I think it's forced people to reassess what's important. Like what's the time that I really need to be creative and do my job, but then what's the time I need to actually rest my poor tired brain so I can continue being creative after that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of the really interesting things of like, the position that I think both of us are in you and I, is that we get such like an overview of like what is happening to creatives across the space. And like, it's so interesting, because a lot of the times, you know, we think that our experiences are entirely unique. And like, we're the only ones feeling that way. 
Um, but I'm sure you see like with the number of artists that you interview and like just all the creatives that, whose lives you touch. Um, and then, you know, with the roster that we have, like 53 artists all across the globe, it was so interesting to me to see how a lot of them, like a large chunk of our roster kind of hit that burnout point um, with like the pandemic and social media and isolation around the same time. It was like the craziest, um, craziest experience. Cause yeah, they don't, our artists like don't necessarily talk all the time. You know, there's some of them that like, you know, are friends and we'll chat every once in a while, but they're not all like constantly chattering with each other. Um, even though there is like spaces for community, but it was so crazy to me to see how, like, I would say like, um, in the winter of like this past year, everybody was just kind of like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't want to do this social media thing anymore. I don't want to sit on a zoom. They, they all really hit that burnout point at the same time. And I think they all kind of had to reassess their relationship with freelancing and like with their career and with their job and how to kind of make it all work um, in a space that was changing so much over the last two years. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, and I'm sure you saw like a lot of the similar things, uh, not just with the artists that you interview, but with the people that you work with. Yeah, I've written quite a bit about burnout and people's thought and you know what it is and how to avoid it and I think it's like a yeah it's definitely a big thing if you're doing a creative job because it requires being creative requires so much of your kind of heart and and soul you're giving so much and sometimes it can feel like you're not getting much back and it can be quite exhausting but I also think not just for creators for everyone now modern life is so tiring you know like a normal day for me, it would be like, oh, I've got emails from Creative Review, but I've also got emails on my other email account, and someone else is sending me a Twitter message, and someone else has sent me an Instagram message, and I must remember to look at that <laughs> Slack, and actually, I must do this other, and it's just like, the, the notifications and the channels are just mind-boggling. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's so hard to keep track of everything, and it's just, yeah, I do think there's something to be said for people having like constant access to you. I think that is something really difficult. Um, that maybe we as a species have yet to grapple with is like, what, how does that affect you as a person? Um, but yeah, it is crazy. And it's definitely something that like is a boundary you have to set. Um, like I'm somebody that the minute the clock strikes like 530, I'm closing Slack. I have coworkers that like will delete the app from their phone and just be like, I'm not looking at this. I'm deleting email. I'm deleting Slack. Um, but it is really, really hard. Cause yeah, like my job definitely isn't as reactive, but like our agents, for example, it's hard for them not to be on call 24-7. And it's like, how do you kind of make those boundaries when you you genuinely could be working all the time? Or like I interviewed Jachi Wang, who's one of our artists, um, a couple months ago for the podcast. And I was asking her all these questions because she, she just creates so much work. Like she puts out work mm-hmm. like nobody's business. And I was like, so how do you like find balance in your life? And literally her answer to everything was like, I don't. I just work all the time. I like doing it, but like, I don't. And I was like, Jachi, we got to figure it out, girl. So uh, there's this brilliant studio here. uh, They're called Universal Everything. And one of the founders is this guy, Matt Pike, who's a great designer. Um, I interviewed him once and he told me that he'd worked out. uh, He was only going to work four hours a day because he'd figured out that he was really only useful or active for four hours a day. So he would get up, do his four hours, and that was it. That's a genius. I thought, oh my God, this is brilliant. Because how much time are the rest of us spending just kind of like really shallying about looking at social media or not really doing what we're meant to be doing? Oh, yeah. Instead, we could be having these supremely focused four hours. 
Yeah, I'm always so impressed by people that are able to optimize their lives that way because I'm so at the will of <laughs> A, TikTok, that's the first app that sucks all my time, and B, my Sudoku app on my phone. Those are like, if I didn't have those, I would probably save like a solid four hours out of my day every day, but it's impossible. You're like <laughs> one hand, you're like, your brain is going with the use of TikTok, but on the other hand, you're like improving it with Sudoku. So you're sort of like, you're on the, you're on the level there. So you're okay. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> I, that's what I tell myself, but I don't know if it's actually true. Um, well, and that's the other hard thing too, is I don't know if you feel this way, but I think I use my job as an excuse to like waste more time on social media than I should because I'm like, oh, I work in social media. Like so much of what I do in marketing for these artists is social media work because we don't do a lot of like paid advertising or anything. And I'm like, I can't do my job effectively if I don't know what's going on. Um, but it is really hard to kind of draw that line between like what is useful work time and like what what is actually necessary for me to know the landscape and then like what is just me wasting time <laughs> actually i found twitter really useful i found mm. some really interesting stories through twitter and through instagram i found some really interesting artists in terms of you know who i might write about for my job but actually just people that i would buy prints from or mm -hmm. people that i would follow for my own interests you know i've heard yeah. of people who do like big instagram clear out you just stop following anyone except for the people that are bringing you know nice design or beautiful things into your life and I quite yeah. like the idea of that obviously I haven't done it though. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I like the idea but who knows if I'll do it no yeah just Marie Kondo your Instagram that's not a bad idea I like that um speaking of kind of advice and you know being freelance working in the creative industry all that fun stuff do you have any advice for kind of freelance creatives and how did you kind of you know not only build yourself up but you know is there anything in particular that really helped you when you were doing that um that job mm. I think um people get spooked and they think oh my god I'm a certain age and I haven't made it inverted mm -hmm. commas and that's only fueled by ridiculous things like 30 under 30 or whatever it is uh so I think Best advice is probably just to take your time. Don't worry about what other people are doing and just follow your own route and don't stress. Because there's been times in my life where I've been like, oh my God, I should be doing more. I should be doing this. And it didn't help me at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't make any difference to where I got or what I was doing. So it yeah. was a complete waste of time. Um, so I think that's a good one. Um, I think having a job that you don't like or that isn't exactly right for you might feel really torturous mm -hmm. I think is actually really helpful just working somewhere and understanding how business gets done how you mm. interact with clients how things like email work or billing is actually mm. really helpful even though at the time you might want to die <laughs> <maybe. laughs> every part of it yeah oh, that is really good advice I think that's that is something, again, that like so many artists are adverse to. And it's it's really interesting because, again, this is something that we see at Closer and Closer is like, that's the reason why a lot of them come to us, you know, is because they're like, I don't want to do emails. I don't want to talk to my clients. Like, I just want to do the art. But like something that we always tell them is e like, we will not promise you that we will get you more jobs or that like, like, we won't promise you anything. We'll promise you that when you leave, you'll be better than when you came in and like you will have improved in some way. 
And I think that's something that sometimes artists really have to learn the hard way is like, there is no way to not do that, um, that part of the job, even if it's just like having good client relationships. Uh, my co-host can talk about this forever because he <laughs> really went through the learning process when he first started it closer and closer. He was like, you know, not responsive, not, never hit a deadline, never had that kind of like intrinsic, yeah, not good vibes, um, never had that intrinsic like motivation to do those things. And I think people think that once they go freelance, they can kind of let go of that. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm my own boss. I don't have anybody like telling me what to do. Um, but yeah, people forget that it's like such an important skill no matter what you're doing. So I really, I really love that advice because I think it is really hard to do that for yourself if you aren't already doing that, um, like aren't used to doing that for somebody else. I think really boring advice, the most boring advice, the most boring insight, but having a good spreadsheet to keep track of everything is absolutely key. Oh. And if you're someone that likes to make lists and tick things off, a spreadsheet is like really exceptional. Prime. That is yeah. literally how I stay on top of things in my life. I make a really? list in the spreadsheet and I <laughs> note down like, have I invoiced? Have I done it? Have I been paid for it? And that keeps me from going completely loopy. I totally agree. I'm a huge <laughs> spreadsheet gal. I am like the spreadsheet gal closer and closer. It's so funny. Uh, my boss always calls me the data girl. And I'm like, I like am a communications major. Like I don't really actually know these things. But like I'm just there. It's I'm the same way. I'm like, if I don't have it in an organized way that like makes sense to me and that I can consume, I will not use it and I will not think about it. I will avoid it at all costs. So, you know, it's sometimes the boring advice is the best one. And that's why it's good <laughs> advice because nobody does it because it seems boring. <laughs> well, I think we all want to think we have this like image in our minds or oh, being a creative or doing a creative job is just pure like brilliantness from sun up to sundown. But I think actually you have to sort of come to the hard realization that there's some really boring crap that you have to do to enable the fun stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. I interviewed um, a designer at Lego the other day and, and she was saying something like 10% of the work is having the idea and the other 90% is them persuading everyone else that it's a good idea. So That is so true. Wow. That's a really good quote. <laughs> I love that one. I love that one. Yeah. And I think that's, again, like such a useful skill to have as a freelancer because like it's extra hard to do that, right? When you don't have that built-in rapport with the person that you're working with, like at least in an organization like the ones that we're in, you work with the same people every day. You They're used to you. You build a certain level of trust. Um, whereas when you're freelance creative, like you have to do that so quickly. You have to do that, you know, right off the bat and you have to really be conscious of that because otherwise, you know, why are these people going to trust you with their project if you're not building trust from the get-go? Well, on that note, um, obviously, you're very knowledgeable in the art industry, the creative industry. You have a lot of great advice. Um, first of all, what is your favorite part about talking to creatives? What is the part that like gets you up in the morning and you're like, heck yeah, I want to do this? Difficult question. I think I just love stories and creatives always have a good story to tell, whether it's a story about why they do what they do, why they've got the particular style they have, or the story behind, I don't know, an advert that they've made or a music video they've made. And um, people are always enthusiastic. You know, it's not kind of a journalism job where you're interviewing anyone that's miserable at what they're doing. People are always really enthused. So that makes you enthusiastic. And 
Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Interviewing these artists, I'm like, again, I knew nothing about art or illustration before I got into this job. And sometimes I just sit here on the podcast listening to Dave, my co-host, and whoever the <laughs> guest is, like, nerd out about, like, the most hyper-specific, like, art stuff, like, technique stuff that you could ever get into. And it's just so lovely. I just sit here with a big, like, dumb smile on my face. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but you are so excited, and I love to see it. <laughs> So it really does. Kind of branding and design and advertising as well. It's like get some sort of insight into what the future might hold or what's going on kind of in the world socially or in terms of pop culture. Like people think it's just a bit of consumerism, which it is in some ways. But I think there's more resonance there that you can draw out of what's going on. Definitely. No, yeah, that's a really great point. I think it really helps. I mean, like you said earlier, like it's everywhere, you know, and it's such a. I feel like it not only like it, yes, some people are like, oh, you know, it like shapes your brain and like it's influencing you and manipulating you, whatever. But it really is just like a sign of the times and and they're just trying to get at what human beings want right now. And I think that's really interesting, is like how it plays into psychology and and you know, they're just trying to tap into what we want, which is really, really interesting that they can do that so well. Yeah, and a you know, a brilliant piece of creativity can be hugely influential. You know, this is one that everyone always knows, but there's that Levi's laundress ad that mm. basically um, sent sales of boxer shorts skyrocketing because the guy in the advert was wearing boxer shorts. Um, so which is a bit out there, but there's other examples I can't think of. But, you know, yeah. like it really can have a real-life impact. You know, like a really brilliant road safety campaign. We've had, like in the UK, we've had quite a long history of really shocking kind of almost quite confrontational road safety PSAs, I guess you would call them. Um, I remember seeing them as a kid. So it's stuff that people might think is ephemeral, but can have a really long lasting and wider impact on the world. Yeah, absolutely. I always see, again, taking it back to TikTok like I always do, um, but I always see like ads on TikTok that are like, you know, oh, do you guys remember this ad from like, I think there was one from like five years ago that was a gun safety ad, which here in America is like so relevant. Um, And it was just so crazy being like, oh, yeah, I could like quote this probably. Um, And I'd only seen it like once or twice before and it came up on my feed years later. And I'm like, oh, I totally remember this. Um, Yeah, they're really impactful. People people know what they're doing at those jobs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And to follow up on that kind of on the same topic of interviewing creatives and kind of getting in their heads. Is there any common threads that you notice between the successful artists that you write about? Like, is there anything that kind of stands out to you as a common quality or like a common notion between all of them? Um, Yeah. I think patience, probably. Being prepared to accept that the thing that you want might not happen in the next six months or even three years. Uh, And remembering that your career is... Um, you want it to be long lasting so you kind of take your time you're really intentional about everything that you do Mm. Uh, I think the other thing I've seen is that expanding and growing and doing more and more and more is actually not necessarily always a good thing Uh, Mm -hmm. you know you might be someone that starts a design studio these big ambitions that it's going to become a huge global business then when it does get there you're like but now I'm not doing any of the things I actually love doing I'm not designing I'm not being creative I'm running a business yeah. So that's another common thing I think that, that comes up. Definitely. Um, I think as well it's important to have a good 
good dose of realism. I think there's, there's advice that I see that goes around a lot, which really annoys me, which is people say, oh, just keep doing what you love and you'll get there eventually, which totally disregards the fact that, yeah, you can keep doing that, but you do have to pay your bills and you do have to live. So you need a good dose of realism, like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this thing I love, but I also need to be honest with myself. I'm probably going to have to get a job. Am I good yeah. enough at the moment to be earning money? So there's a, there's a definite balance. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that comes with the patience, right? Is like acknowledging that, A, like creativity is never a done job, right? You constantly have to be growing and learning and evolving and like putting work into your craft in order to be able to stay relevant. Um, but also, yeah, like it's just, it's not going to happen overnight and you need to make sure that you can live and be a person and like continue to put effort into it because, you know, if you have no money and you can't eat and you have nothing else going for you, like you're not going to probably be able to be that creative or improve your craft much more than than you are now. Um, and I think everyone has those projects that they think, oh my goodness, I will never tell a soul that I did this. It paid me loads of money, but I'm never going to tell anyone. Everyone has those. Whether they admit to it or not, everyone has one of those. <laughs> absolutely that is so funny i'm gonna add that as a question to the podcast now so that the artists have to fess up on like what is your one project that you would never tell anybody about um i guess i'm not trying to ruin their client relations so maybe i won't do that but it'd be funny i'll ask them in private maybe as an icebreaker <laughs> awesome well that kind of brings us to the end of my questions um first of all thank you so much for being here this was really fun and you know, I always love getting to know people again outside of the roster. It's so much fun to get an outsider's perspective. And I think people will have a lot to take from this episode. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> and before we go, I have my most challenging question. Always stumps people. Tell the people where they can find you on the internet if they want more. Oh, well, I'm on Twitter at Emma Tucker, although I don't use that so much these days. And I'm actually on Instagram, again, at Emma Tucker, which is full of pictures of my dog and hikes in the countryside. You got all the good handles. Like I'm not selling it. <laughs> I know. Do you want to know something funny? There is yeah. another Emma Tucker in the UK who I think is actually the deputy editor of The Times or The Sunday Times. She's like a really oh serious, well-respected journalist. <laughs> and I cannot tell you the amount of times people have thought I was her. That I was once so invited funny. on, um, I've been invited to discussion panels about things that I know nothing about. I've been sent like political emails and I'm like, what the hell is this? That is so funny. So I'm glad that I got there before the other Emma Tucker. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm surprised she hasn't like come and asked you to buy it off of you. That's a lucrative business opportunity, I feel like. It'll be a high fee. I'm excited. I'm excited for <laughs> you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emma. This was so fun. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks for tuning in to the Closer and Closer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to receive the latest episodes. You don't want to miss some of the incredible conversations that we have coming up. They'll be full of powerful insight to help you reach your full creative potential. To find out more about us, visit www.closerandcloser.co. If you're a fan of the Closer and Closer podcast, then you're probably a fan of the Closer and Closer roster too. Spending an hour of your day with them is fun, but did you know there's an even better way to keep up with everything our roster's up to? Sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Dose, to get fresh inspiration from our artists every single week. 
along with email notifications every time we upload a new episode and exclusive freebies from time to time. Head to the show notes to get signed up and stay in the loop. Bye.